Hello, and welcome to Pre-Published. I'm Sophia. In this episode, I talk to James Nicholl about bookshops, daytime cinema, writing courses, and getting the first book deal. In season one of Pre-Published, I talk mostly to writers, agents and editors in the world of children's fiction, as that's where I spent the first 10 years of my published life. Season two will spread its wings a bit and include conversations with writers across all age groups, including poets and playwrights, debut authors and bestsellers. As before, we'll also take a look behind the scenes at the world of publishing. But I start where I left off, with children's writing. James is the author of a fantasy children's series published by Barry Cunningham of Chicken House. Barry is the man who discovered J.K. Rowling, Lucy Christopher, M.G. Leonard, Kieran Milgrave Harwood, Maz Evans and, in amongst them, me. James is the first person I spoke to for this series during the first lockdown and once we'd mastered the technology it was balm to the soul. Like me, he had a long route to becoming a published writer. I love his story about turning down a dependable job in a sticking foam factory to work as a bookseller for many years. James took various writing courses while he honed his craft and I wanted to discuss the value of these with him. Is it worth it? Should one do it? What do you get out of it? All useful things to know, I think. As always, it was good to talk to a fellow writer about the ups and downs of the road to publication. I loved his comment that you can't fix a blank page. If you want to be a writer, however hard it is, you first have to write. We recorded this episode in June 2020. I hope you enjoy our conversation. James, welcome to Pre-Published. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure. <laughs> um, I know that you've listened to some earlier episodes, haven't you? So, I have. It's, uh, it's wonderful. It's great to talk to somebody who kind of knows what we're trying to do. And we met through Golden Egg Academy, didn't we, which was set up by my original editor, Imogen. So you spent a lot of your life being pre-published too. Um, that's <laughs> when I met you. Um, so we've got lots to talk about today, but I wanted to start off uh, just by talking about this strange world we're living in now, which mm. we'll have to explain to future generations as, as what history was like. Um, I'm sure they won't be able to imagine it at all, but but what is your what is your writing in lockdown experience like? It's not been too bad, actually. I mean, I know lots of people that have really, really struggled, you know, not even been able to write their own name. Um, but I've I've not been too bad. I started a new project just kind of just as we headed into, into lockdown, really. Um, I'd been sort of working on various different ideas um, as something new for Chicken House. And um, yeah, and then kind of went full into into a an actual new book um so it's been it's been not not bad at all really and and quite you know useful in some ways because i've been able to have lots of time just to get on and do writing i should have been doing tons of events i was meant to be part of a project set up by new writing north called read regional um where there are seven or eight authors um from all different um parts of, of the north of england and um you do sort of a, a, a mini tour, I suppose, of, of various libraries across um, Yorkshire and, and the northeast and the northwest. I was going over to the Lake District. It was all going to be lovely. Um, so, um, so that hasn't happened. But obviously, you no know, travelling means more time to write. So, you kind of have to take the rough with the smooth, don't you? Yeah. And, and look at it as a um, as a mixed blessing in lots of ways. So, um, yeah. So writing actually. Is, is going well in lockdown, surprisingly. Fantastic. <laughs> I thought I'd be easily distracted. <laughs> I must say I'm quite easily distracted. Um, 
Yes. Uh, yes, I think p- p- we perhaps both managed to get some writing done and I think we are the lucky ones in that case. I, I, yes, I have many writer friends who've just found that their imaginations will not cooperate mm. during this time. And uh, yeah, they found it super tough, even though technically, you know, they've nothing to stop them sitting at their computer, but it's just hard to get the words to flow. Yeah. And I do understand that very much too. I mean, I've, I have a, a part-time job as well. So I work for a library service um, and, um, and normally I would be in a library a couple of days a week, but obviously that's not happening either. So all of that work is also being working from home as well. So it's that's a real odd mixture for me because I'm used to going out a couple of days a week and being with, with lots of different people and then suddenly you're you're completely at home. So I did think that it might be difficult suddenly bringing my other work into my, what is purely in this house, been my writing space. Right. Um, but it's it's fine i have a different laptop that i use for work i kind of you know i i sort of set myself up differently i i start my day at a slightly different time when i'm writing so i kind of i've managed to sort of falsely separate myself interesting <laughs> so slightly different spaces slightly different technology slightly different yeah. timing that, that that's good enough to make it feel like a different mm, thing i think so without having to put on a uniform <laughs> there's always that as well um yes I, I spend a lot of my time in yoga gear because I, I get up and think right now is that I'm just going to get up do 40 minutes of really really strenuous yoga and then get on with my day and of course I'm still sitting in my yoga gear at half past five in the evening I've done nothing <laughs> I know I'm I, not alone I tried the yoga and I did a couple of sessions but my dog was far too interested in what was going on and thought it was also because you know often when we're playing with the dog we're sat on the floor she just thought it was an extended playing with the dog session so <laughs> one of my I shouldn't be saying this but one of my favorite YouTube videos is is a hot Italian guy doing yoga with his dog <laughs> it's very nice to watch the dog is I'm just gonna make a note of that now. <laughs> yes I'm sure if you google hot Italian guy yoga dog you'll find it quite fast um I, I was reading on your website which I love by the way I think oh, you've got a really really you. accessible lovely website and and you were talking about um well, I think it was there, but I read a couple of interviews as well, talking about daytime cinema as being something that you do, oh, obviously, not yes. right now. But um, I'm interested in that as well, you know, the secret life of a writer. I love <laughs> the idea of daytime cinema. I just think there's something deliciously um, naughty about going to the cinema in the middle of the day. I mean, like you say, I've not been able to do it for ages and ages and ages, aside from obviously sloping off into the living room and putting on a DVD or something. Um, but yes, I just it always has felt very decadent to me I think because it just feels like escaping into this enclosed dark world whilst everybody else is carrying on with their day and going to work and and running errands and doing all of those grown-up things we have to do just escaping to somewhere else um, through the magic of cinema for me is just that kind of delicious escape it's one of my absolute favorite things to do um yeah I'm missing it now I hadn't thought about it oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I did it I did it myself when, when I was about seven or eight I was living in Hong Kong at the time and there was a little sort of shack that was the cinema in our village that we that we lived in on the mountainside and and maybe that's that, that was the time I really got into stories and maybe that was mm. one of the reasons why. But of course, the lovely thing for us, I guess, about daytime cinema is um, it's it's work because it's stories and it's tax deductible. 
absolutely it's research that's it's what I tell totally myself and that's what research. I tell everybody else excellent <laughs> Um, so you're talking about working in, in the library and, and you started mm. out as a bookseller and a librarian, didn't you? I did. So I, well, originally I was, I went to university to study, to be a primary school art teacher. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was homesick before I even left. I've always been somebody that's, you know, I've never wanted to go off and travel the world and anything like that. I've just wanted to be at home. <laughs> Um, so I'm, you know, particularly during lockdown, I think it must be terribly hard for lots and lots of people. But for me, it's really not because I love, I love my house. I love my garden. I love being at home. It's not, I don't find it difficult. I find it difficult not seeing friends, you know, face to face and not seeing family. Um, but the whole thing of being at home doesn't, you know, it doesn't, um, I don't get bored or anything like that. Do you know, I find that so interesting because the way that I encountered you was at the, the socials that, that Golden Neck Academy did. Mm. And and you were one of the most sociable people and one of the least <laughs> shy. Absolutely one of the least shy because we're all writers, so frankly, we're all quite shy. Yeah. Um, and yes, we're sort of reaching out and bringing people together. I would I would never have guessed that of everybody there that, you know, you'd, you'd be a homebody. Absolutely. I just, I it's you know aside from daytime cinema trips being at home is it's kind of is where i recharge it's my it's my safe haven i suppose it's where i decompress and yeah i just i love having my things around me i love i love just getting up and pottering about in the house or the garden you know that's that's bliss for me really um and i i was i mean as a teenager i was painfully painfully shy um and yeah i think becoming unshy is something i've i've learned to do and from lots of different ways i did drama for a level and that was a a good experience and working actually in with the public in a bookshop um and talking to people you can't avoid it so i think that helped a lot in in lots of different ways that kind of interaction with lots of different people Mm -hmm. continuously um makes it easier for you to kind of chat to people but i yeah i just i love i do like people and i love spending time with people but i'm perfectly happy being alone at home as well um so yeah. you, you did your your bookshop stint how long did that last for that lasted 12 years so okay. i ran ran away from university after the first week <laughs> <laughs> james honestly i know i i shouldn't have gone i'm you know hindsight is a marvelous thing isn't it and looking back now i really I shouldn't I should have just been brave and said look this is not for me yeah. let's take a year out and and think about it in a year's time but it was you know everybody was doing it. I was already a year behind all of my friends because I'd had to hang back to do some extra GCSEs um, and so all of my year group had already they were already moved on yeah um, and so I I kind of felt like I was trying to catch up with people um, and yeah it just didn't work and ended up going back home being told I had to find a job which was fine um and I had two interviews with a company that put adhesive onto the back of foam um <laughs> okay and it was looking scarily like they might offer me a job and then my one of my very best friends was working in a in a bookshop that had just recently opened in our town and um and she said, oh, we're looking for somebody just temporary for Christmas. And um, I said, 
oh, that sounds interesting, went and had a very, very informal chat with the manager. I mean, I was kind of perched on a on a chair that was covered in books and cardigans in the office. And um, he just, we sort of chatted a bit and then he said, can you start on Monday? And I went home, told my mum and she went up the wall. <laughs> Because she was like, you've thrown over this this kind of, you know, dependable job in the sticking phone <laughs> factory place office yeah. um, to going to a part, you know, a temporary job that's going to finish off the Christmas in this bookshop. Um, and I was there for 12 years and I opened my own branch. I was a branch manager um, and it was, I think, you know, aside from being an author, it's one of the most glorious jobs I've ever had. Um, I just loved every every aspect of it really aside from christmas towards the end christmas became not a fun thing to yes, be doing in a bookshop i can imagine <laughs> my heart goes out to all those booksellers um the and all those christmas ringing yeah yeah and also just that it starts so early for booksellers you know in the middle of july when you're sweating and you're looking at you know christmas books again and it just feels i remember one year so i worked for a company called ottakers and yes, we were then yes, taken over by them. waterstones um and i think it was the first year that um that we worked for waterstones and we had the christmas um kind of conference and it was the beginning of september and we all sat there in short sleeves yep sweltering and they got christmas trees up and <laughs> playing christmas music we had a christmas oh, dinner and it, really? was very, it was very bizarre um but yes i don't i don't miss the kind of the the seemingly never ending build up to christmas although i i'm and i love christmas don't get me wrong mm. i'm a i'm a big christmas fan um but not not from July. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a book coming out in late October, and that is absolutely for the Christmas market. And uh, yes, um, so I'm working kind of working on all that stuff now um, oh. with Christmas very much in mind. So I am one of those terrible people, I guess, now feeding into this thing. Well, no, I mean, that's something you have to do, isn't it? I know when I was writing the third book, um, A Witch Come True, which was is kind of set during the winter, and it's kind of their version of, of a Christmas holiday. Yeah. Um, you know, I was having to play kind of wintry Christmassy tunes to get myself into that into that headspace which was you know it's fun sometimes isn't it to do that but yeah fun but weird not, yeah can I just say A Witch Come True is one of my favourite titles well done you it wasn't me oh, I really? cannot take the <laughs> credit for any of my titles except for the first one um That's which originally was going to be called The Apprentice Witch's Handbook okay and um and Barry and and Rachel and Kezia had some reservations that people might think it was an actual handbook for apprentice witches um and so they really? said look come up with some alternatives and I've got in one of my notebooks somewhere I've got all of these variations of things that are not good um and then I just suddenly thought well what about the apprentice witch <laughs> you know just take yes. this handbook off and, <laughs> and there you are and actually when I looked just before um just before we launched the first book before the actual launch party mm. i found one of the very first um scenes that i wrote for the book and the last line of that scene is the apprentice which had arrived and i was just like oh the title was there the whole oh. time and i just <laughs> ignored it completely um yeah so um it was rachel lyshen who came up with um a witch come true um so i can't I can't take credit for that. All credit to her. 
it's good. I like those slightly punning ones. Um, so you did you did your book selling, which obviously was lovely, and I can imagine was. And I, I bet you learned mm. a lot about storytelling in that job too. What people I mean, love, I, what works. Yeah, I just read so many books and fell in love with so many books, and uh, you know had a real kind of return to children's books as well. I was a children's bookseller for, for about three or four years. Mm. Um, so just surrounded and during the time of, of the Harry Potters as well, which, you know, I will remember those those midnight book launches as long as I live. I thought that's um, how all books were launched, by the way, you know, until mine came <laughs> out and it was like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> it's not like not that at all. that level, is it? No, um, it's just like Amazon no. goes, yeah, you can have it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I mean, the first the first three, you know, the first three Harry Potters for us were, were kind of just, you know, fairly ordinary books and, yeah. you know, there was a bit more buzz around them. And then I distinctly remember we were we were doing a, a book fair at a local convent school and we'd been there all week and it was the, I think it, it launched on a Wednesday prisoner of Azkaban yeah and it, this was the first time they said look you can't sell it until the schools are out so we'd taken a, a box maybe two boxes of, of books with us which you know would have been I don't know 20 30 books probably yeah. um and we sold them all in about 30 minutes and we were like me and my colleague were like looking at each other going that's that's a little bit weird that doesn't happen okay. <laughs> very often and we're like should we ring the shop and, and ask them to put some more by for us so we did and they're like well we we've not got any left they've all gone and we were like oh this is very weird um and that was when we first noticed that that kind of happening isn't that exciting that it was very much reader led so you mm. you hadn't been to conferences then saying yeah this is going to be amazing it was no, it was the other way no. around oh i love that that's so yeah. exciting i mean i i kind of i remember pre harry potter the children would come in for the animal arc books and goosebumps books mm. and those were the books that were stacked high on the table yes and they loved them and and then after harry potter i mean not immediately but but sort of, you know, that, that kick-started a lot of things. Suddenly you were seeing a lot of different books piled on tables and people saying, well, what should I read now? I, I love the Harry Potter books, what else should I read? Um, and that's where you saw sort of explosions and, and rediscoveries of people like Diana Wynne-Jones and um, people like Jonathan Stroud, you know, yes. coming coming to the forefront and, um, yeah, Artemis Fowl and things like that. And just, just amazing really to kind of witness all of that it was definitely you know it definitely kind of shoved me back towards my writing um although it was slow going <laughs> interesting so i'm gonna gonna leap over the the whole writing bit because i really want to come back to that but having having created something um mm. the apprentice witch as it as it ended up being how did you get your first publishing deal so um, I was um, I was working on the novel with um, the Golden Egg Academy, and I was being mentored by Bella Pearson. At that moment in time, because there's a, a link, a slight link between Golden Egg and um, Chicken House. God, I've forgotten my publisher's name. Then <laughs> um, they. Um, Obviously, Barry's a big supporter of Golden Egg, and Imogen, who set up Golden Egg, was uh, originally editor at Chicken House as well. So there's always been that link there. And at this moment in time, there was an offer of, of kind of like a scholarship that Chicken House would pay to some Golden Egg writers 
if they saw promise in in what they were working on um yes very lovely and um i mean i i was you know i i'd kind of scraped and and saved to kind of put myself through through golden egg and i had a teeny tiny little bit of money that um had been left to me after my dad had passed away i mean not, nothing not a great sum at all um but all of that went towards my golden egg courses and, and writing and and stuff to support that um but it was kind of getting to the point where i was <laughs> that was kind of nearly all gone yeah. and um and so the offer of a scholarship, I thought, well, yeah, why not? If that's if that's something that's possible, let's let's do it. Um, so uh, Bella said that she would send the the current manuscript that we were working on to Barry to read. And never in a million years did I think he would show any interest in my book because it was about witches and broomsticks and magic. And I thought, you know, this is the man that discovered Harry Potter. <laughs> He's been he's, there, done he's that. He's been there, done that. Why is he going to be interested? You know. So, I, but I thought, you know, if he's going to read it and give me some feedback free of charge, I'm not going to, not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Um. So this would have been about July 2014, I think, and Bella sent it off, um, to Barry, and in the meantime, sent me off with lots of editing to do and 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 um, work to do on the on the story. So I went off and did that. Um. And then in about October, I heard that Barry wanted to meet to talk about the book and the scholarship. So rather nervously, I, I went down to London and met Barry at the Scholastic offices and we had tea. And um, I remember I'd met him a few times through Golden Egg at socials and things, but not we'd never really said more than kind of two or three words to each other. Um, and so we, we sat and chatted for about 45 minutes about me and my writing and, and The Apprentice Witch. And, um, but by that point, I just finished a, a completely revised draft of the story. So what he'd read was kind of, you know, several months out of date. So mm. we, we talked a bit about that and he said, right, well, send me, send me the new, the new version. And I was waiting for Bella to read it and she hadn't read it yet. So I'm thinking, have I just said the wrong thing? If I send him <laughs> this new version and it's absolute pants, um, this might be a bad thing. So I, I kind of sent it and then in a panic got in touch with Bella and said, oh my goodness, have I done the wrong thing? And she said, no, 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 absolutely, it's fine. I'll, you know, we'll wait and see what Barry says. I'll I'll read it, you know, once we've heard back from Barry. Right. Um, so, and then he asked to see me again in November. And this time, thankfully, Imogen came along with me and we we met him at the Savile Club in, in Mayfair, which is, very, very swanky. And um, and we had a really nice long chat again and he'd read the new draft and, and you know, there was a lot about it that he liked and a lot about it that he didn't like. Oh. And the bit that he didn't like was most of the second half of the book, which <laughs> I've since said is kind of a Barry classic. I think it's like, it's a bit of a test, I think, to see, <laughs> to see how people respond. Because I've spoken to quite a few Chicken House authors who say, yeah, he didn't like the second half of my book either. Okay. Um, <laughs> perhaps, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, so he kind of, Imogen was very good and said, look, you know, what does James need to do in terms of, you know, securing the scholarship? And Barry said, well, you would need to go away, get rid of the second half of the book because it's not doing you any favours. He really spotted the whole kind of 
love of the domestic and the fact that it really wasn't about magic at all it was about friendships and relationships in a community yeah. and the magic just happened to be something that occurs in the story yeah, yeah. um and and you know like I guess this happens to lots of people when he said it to me I was like yeah those are the books I really love so I don't, I don't know why I was trying to write this kind of epic end of the world kind of you know slightly Lord of the Rings-esque um epic towards the end yeah. of the of the book um so he sent me off to rethink he also said that I needed to change the the baddie in the story that the, it was the wrong baddie that's um, interesting wow yeah um but he did and he didn't tell me who it was um, or who he wanted it to be, he just said it was a character that was already in the story. He said, don't add another character in, use somebody that's there already. Um, and so I kind of, I got back on the train back to Cambridge and it was a horrible foggy day. And and I sat on the train and by the time I got back into the station, I'd kind of, I'd worked out who the new baddie was. And as soon as I'd done that, everything fell into place. And it was a real kind of, you know, I'd say kind of light bulb moment if it wasn't such a foggy day. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I spent kind of the the Christmas holidays and, and most of into January and February working on some new chapters and a new outline for the book. So he, he just wanted to see like an outline and some new chapters that would go into the second half of the book. Yeah. Um, worked on those a bit with Bella and with Imogen. And then we sent those back and waited and waited and waited and waited, um, which I've learned is a is a skill you need to have when you in publishing. Uh, pub- so do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hurry up and wait. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then it. There were, I then started getting various emails from Rachel Lyshen, um, asking for different bits and pieces. So she said, "Could you send us a, a two hundred word biography about yourself? And could you send us this? And could you send us that? And and I, I was like, why why are they asking for this? why why do they want this and I asked Bella and she didn't really know and it turned out that nobody else had been awarded a scholarship up to this point so it was all kind of untrodden ground and right. and I seemed to be the one wading my way through it um and I said is this part of the scholarship and Imogen said oh I don't know I'll see if I can find out more um but I had completely worked myself up to the point where Barry was going to say that he didn't want it oh. but I so wedded myself to this new direction with the story that I thought it's fine if he doesn't want it I will work on it with Bella and you know I think somebody will want it yes I was kind of you know I I kind of thought I was wedded to it so I I didn't mind and I'd had these two meetings and this wonderful feedback and you know the most delicious glass of red wine in the Savile Club (laughs) um so I I really wasn't I you know I didn't feel like I'd lost out on anything at all and then one morning, I seem to think it was a Tuesday, but that might not be right. Um, I got an email from Rachel just saying, are you free to chat this afternoon? And I thought, oh, this is it. This is the, you know, this is the thanks very much. But it's not it's not quite good enough for the scholarship. But keep trying. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so she then sent me the details to log on to a conference call. And I then saw an email saying that Barry was joining the conference call as well. And I thought, oh, gosh, they're like ganging up on me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was at, I was at work. I was still working full time at that point. But I, I, I kind of arranged my day so that I could work at home in the afternoon because I thought I don't want to be in my office surrounded by other people 
if they give me, you know, when they give me bad news and I burst into tears. <laughs> um, so I was at home on my own, ranging to this conference call. And the first thing Barry said after we all sort of said hello to each other was, Rachel has something to say to you. And I said, okay. And um, and Rachel just said, yeah, we're, we're not going to offer you the scholarship. And I said, no, no, I, I didn't think you were going to. And she said, but we'd really, really like to publish your book. <laughs> and I was just like, absolutely gobsmacked I mean I really was and Rachel said what did you think we were ringing for <laughs> and um because when you go to the Savile Club because it's a, a very formal place you have to wear a jacket mm. um and I kind of worked my way through my my various jackets at various events that I'd seen Barry at and he'd always said oh I love your jacket and I kind of thought I'm wearing you know I've got one more jacket left that he's not seen and I I just said when they said what did you think we were ringing for I said I don't know I thought Barry was ringing for fashion advice <laughs> um yeah so that was that was my that was my um route to to being published with and obviously they they gave me time to think it over and um you know they didn't want me to to sign anything there and then yeah um but they they gave me time to think it through not that I needed to because you know as I said you know we've talked about me being a bookseller and I remember those first chicken house books being published and and looking at them and then when they started to do things like putting the the bit on the back that says read this page and yeah. describe this book in three words I just thought that was a lovely unique thing that they were doing and I, yeah. I used to think I'd love them to publish a book um of mine one day so it was a, a dream to have them be my publisher um so I didn't have to think about it for too long <laughs> and how how long was it from that fantastic moment which I love to picture to it hitting the bookshelves um well I think it, it ended up being quicker than originally planned so that would have been around eight March end of March April 2015 right. and The Apprentice which came out in July 2016 but it originally been slated for publication in March 2018 um but i think by the time i then um sent in the draft that i'd been working on all of those months yeah. you know whilst things were, were going on in the background um i i don't know whether it was that they felt it was further along than they had expected it to be um but we we didn't do massive amounts of editing on it i mean we did but not you know it wasn't like we had to do a, a big things with structure because I've kind of already done that yes. with those two earlier meetings so um yeah so the editing was was not um you know not I don't want to make it sound like I didn't need editing but I did absolutely um but it felt like it was a, a much quicker process than than I had expected it to be given that they'd originally said March 2018. Gosh, that, that sort of two and a half years later it would have been? Or it would have three? been two, uh, um, oh no, sorry, I'm getting my uh, 2017, not oh, 2018, okay. it should yeah. have been March 2017, yeah. and it wasn't, it was um, July 2016. I think Mary um, Maz Evans and I ended up swapping publications. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so that was, it was, it was fairly, fairly, um, fairly quick and it goes so quickly doesn't it well it does year, but, just... but but nevertheless I mean it is still slightly over a year and yeah. um yeah as you were saying before you, know, you have to do a lot of waiting in publishing mm. and you know, re reset one's own expectations as yes. to how these things work but I mean I, I've sort of learned over time well and, and as you would have already known from your book selling experience I think as a writer you think well I've written it 
uh, okay, and now I've edited <laughs> and now I've proofed it. It's a thing. Why why can't it? You know, printing mm. takes a matter of days. Um, why can't it just go on the shelves in a, in you know in a month's time? But yeah. actually, that's just when the whole bookselling marketing side of it starts, doesn't it? And yeah. and the booksellers are, are thinking up to a year ahead about mm. what their ranges are going to be. And so yeah, then there's a whole other process that we as writers don't necessarily no. see into very. And much. I kind of I knew that bit. I knew the kind of you know, once once there are proofs and what happens, and you know when when bookshops are ordering stuff at what or what stage, you know, um, so that bit I understood, but all of that pre um, pre published bit, um, you know, all of the all of the stuff that's going on before that, I I wasn't really that was the learning curve, I suppose, and the and the waiting. I'm good at waiting. Though. It's fine. I'm <laughs> very zen about it. <laughs> I've, I've had the the opposite experience. I mean, oddly, my my first book with Threads with Barry, um, bizarrely, well, I mean, it was what what I ultimately gave them was the thirty fourth draft, so it had been it's through me. everything, um, and then it didn't need very much editing. My subsequent books had a lot more editing than that, but uh, this did, it didn't need much, and and I. I was told I'd won the competition in the February and it came out in September. So that was, and which felt like forever, but I mean, looking back it was super fast. Yeah. Um, and then I went after that, went through much more sort of typical um, process, but I, I'm back in the, the weird one again now where I got my UK deal in the beginning of March, I think it was, and or late February. And yeah, and as I say, it's coming out in October and I know that that is mega fast <laughs> to the extent yeah. of, you know, are they going to have time to tell the booksellers mm. about it? I hope so. Um, I know that's their plan, um, but it is it is pretty speedy. But yes, I mean, I try not to tell writing students too much about this because it is quite depressing to think about that. You know, there you are writing your novel <laughs> and it may take you, you know, if you're writing with alongside your job and your kids mm. or whatever, it may, may, may take you a year or two or in my case, four um and and that is just the start of a long yeah. process and a whole bunch of other stuff has to happen after that so and each yeah. publisher seems to approach it in a in a different way i mean i've you know lucky that i've got other writer friends now as well so um you 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 know you swap stories about how this works with different publishers and i know you know somewhere like you say it might be less than a year from signing the contract to the book coming out and mm-hmm. others where it's a much longer period you know it might be two two and a half years mm. from signing the contract to you know the book being published and the the book like you say it's done almost like a year before publication and and you just think goodness me that's particularly if, if they're then if you're in a situation where you're waiting to see how that book sells before you're given another contract um yeah. you've then got a, a really long wait ahead of you as well before you can you know start on something that you know that they're going to you know, buy or, or publish, or hopefully buy or publish. Well, I, I think a great piece of advice I was given was um, make sure that you've already started the second one and you're already really well into mm. it. And I think for, for mental health reasons, that's that's a really lovely piece of advice because if if everything moves quickly, then you might find that your editor is saying, okay, you know, th- this one's out of the way now, I want to see the next one. And way, the, the first one <laughs> took you years and now suddenly you've got three months. And yes. so it's quite handy to have something to show people. Mm. But also, as you say, um, it, it, it really, I find, 
plays with your head to know that something's coming out but it hasn't yet and there are these expectations and you don't know if they'll be met and uh, I, I don't really know that many writers who aren't slightly kind of messed up by that I certainly was <laughs> and am um, and, and it's really nice just to be able to think about the next book the next thing that you're doing I find um, and just kind of write into that void and yeah. at least have that some some story going on so that you're not just waiting no absolutely I mean I was I so um Barry bought the the first book but only the first book I hadn't originally intended there to be three mm. um but by the time I not the first draft but you know a few drafts in there are all these questions about different characters and different things and how the magic worked and why this was and who you know who had done that and it kind of lent itself then to these two further stories um which I'd, I'd kind of roughed out, I suppose, in terms of, a, of an outline, um, not a very well thought out outline, but there was an outline for book two and book three. Um, and Barry was aware of those from quite early on, um, thanks to Imogen again saying, you know, he'll want to see how this story might progress. Um, so I'd, I'd kind of worked on those a bit. So they were there. But it was only when Apprentice which sold to America that um, that Barry then bought the second and third books. In fact, the second and third books sold to, I think they sold to Spain before Chicken House bought them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so they could have just been published in Spanish. Um, but, um, yeah, they were, and then, like you said, there wasn't as much time for the, for the second book, although my publication date was pushed back for book two. It should have come out in the autumn of 2017 yeah i think that's right um and it then you know i like to tell people this um philip pullman then decided to publish the book of dust and um kindly wrote to barry and asked him not to publish my second book because nobody would read philip pullman if they were reading my book <laughs> um of course that's not true at all um i think half of publishing went oh no let's not publish anything that month um oh, and nice. so um so mine and also we'd been we'd been a bit delayed with some edits and um again i'd i'd had to kind of do a, a big rewrite for the second book the second book was a lot harder um again with hindsight it didn't feel hard at the point that i was working on it and i was writing it was only when i looked back and thought that was hard work um that that so yeah so they they kind of said look we're gonna move it back to march 20 17 no hang on where are we march 2018 um yep. and then and then if it if if for any reason we have to fall back again then it only falls back by a month whereas as i'm sure you know nothing much particularly for children's is published beyond october yeah um and so you know missing your your kind of deadline for october you're moving into january anyway so they just said Look, we'll move it into march it gives you more time and then if we have to move back again a bit, then it's not such a big thing. So they were really good um, and gave me plenty of time to to get it where it needed to be. And then the third book just felt like it fell out of me. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, which was really good. But then by that point, you know your characters so well and you know the, the setting. And, um, and, I, and although it changed, obviously, with the changes we made with the second book, um, that kind of changed a lot of what I thought was going to happen in the third book. 
but in the end it, it didn't the kind of the overall arc and and things was still pretty much the same it was it was just you know it was just um tweaking probably where things happened and why things happened um in the second book which kind of was the big work really and then that's probably what made it much easier with the third book to just just go for it and so i'm interested in in how you were writing the first one and mm -hmm. making all these decisions for the first time uh, i just wanted to talk quickly um about the experience of golden egg academy but just just really kind of working with a writing school generally mm. because you know obviously a lot of the student writers that i work with think about it wonder about it i mean i i just do a 10-week course so it's a you know it's a very short um kind of predictable thing you do the 10 weeks and then you're done um yeah. whereas uh, this is something much more kind of intense and, and long lasting um and people are actually working on a book that they intend to publish whereas mm. for, for my course they might just be sort of doing exercise and trying things out depends yeah. how they feel um and and i haven't had that experience myself i mean i i have um dipped into to gea and and done a couple of master classes and things oh yeah. i'm sorry the rubbish men are outside <laughs> and um so for this part of the podcast everybody i would just like you to imagine and i'm sure you can if you hear low rumblings and things it's our fantastic hero rubbish men clearing the streets <laughs> i love them to bits um so I was yes. trying to do some filming for for Chicken House for their cooped up kids. Oh yeah, um, oh, at the beginning nice. of lockdown, yeah. and um, we we live next door to a to a school, and the front is all, all pretty much gardens. And um, it just happened as I just started to do my recording that the the um, the kind of garden and maintenance people turned up, and there were strimmers no. and lawn mowers, <laughs> and I was kind of like. And you know you're recording. You think I don't know whether whether this is being picked up. Yeah. Um, but there's I in the end I had to put I did a little video of my outtakes because it was just it's just priceless of me kind of going, oh everyone's going to hear that. <laughs> I'd left out the really bad swearing that I also did. Um, but yeah, I'm going to watch that. You, you do great videos. <laughs> I look forward to seeing that. So anyway, back to Golden Egg. Why did you join? Um, as you've said, you know, that there's a financial implication to doing this because yeah. you, you're having lots of sort of one-on-one -on -one time with people. Mm. Um, and what did you want to get out of it? And what what did happen? And I mean, I think we should preface this, um, as we were saying before we started recording, that um, it, it varies so much, doesn't it, from course to yes. course and from time yeah. to time. And everything's always in a, in a state of evolution. Mm. But just interested in, in your experiences that happened. Sure. Um, so I'd, I'd done a um, I was desperate to do a, a creative writing course. I'd been I'd been trying to write a children's novel on and off for about three or four years, and I would start it and get so far, and I I didn't know what I was doing. And then I looked. Well, actually, I was tasked at work. I had my yearly annual appraisal, and my my boss said to me, "Look, it would be really good if you went off and and tried to find some sort of online." management qualification i was working for public libraries but they kind of thought like a management qualification would be would set me up better for the future than than perhaps you know um being a chartered librarian or something right um and so i kind of but they then prefaced that with 
we're not going to pay for it and you will have to do it in your own time Bloody so hell. they really <laughs> yeah, they really sold it to me <laughs> um so i went home and kind of half-heartedly was looking at these online management courses and then i just thought you know, i don't want to do an online management course i want to i want to do some writing that's what i really 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 wanted to do so i started looking at writing courses writing groups um we were living in very rural cambridgeshire so there wasn't really anything immediately that that jumped up there were various little groups that kind of met but they always met on a wednesday afternoon between half past one and half past three and i was at work so they just they were they weren't attainable for me and then i found this online um course that paired you up with a tutor um you submitted all of your modules online you got sent all your all of your pack details and when when they sent me the pack, you also got a letter from the tutor and the tutor was a lady called Julia Williams, um, who'd been a children's book editor at Scholastic mm. and is a published author herself as well, though she writes for, for um, grown ups. And um, and I thought, OK, well, she's going to know her stuff. She's going to tell me if what I'm doing is is not any good because she's she knows what she's doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes a bit wary about courses and things because you just don't really know who, what the you know particularly when it's an online thing and it wasn't terribly expensive and so I kind of I thought it was just going to be somebody sat in their spare room you know with like a template going yes no yes no oh, okay. <laughs> and kind of marking it very random I'm sure that doesn't happen but I'm I was a bit nervous um but I was reassured when when I saw this information about about Julia and started doing that course and was getting some really lovely feedback um and it kind of really buoyed me up i'd never shown anybody anything that i'd been writing up to that point so that was a massive step for me was just to the fact that i was actually submitting work um but it was all different things it was a really good course and it doesn't run anymore um unfortunately but you've got to try lots of different things each module is kind of different um so you might be writing for teenagers you might just be developing a character um you might be looking at um you know the texture of picture book uh writing non-fiction writing for children's magazines it was a real kind of lovely mixture of things um and um it was partway through that that Julia suggested maybe instead of if I didn't want to carry on doing the modules, I could start submitting chapters of a book if I was working on something. And I'd sort of been tinkering with um, the idea of The Apprentice Witch at that point. And um, so I started sending in some of the very early chapters. And she had said, you know, if you want to get published, um, then when you've worked on this as much as you can yourself, send it to an independent um, editor, somebody that will give you some real proper feedback, yeah. um, because that's that's what you'll need to make the story better. Um, and through the real vagaries of social media, I became friends with Imogen, and I, I have no idea why. I don't generally befriend people on social media particularly on Facebook, if I haven't actually physically met them in the real world. Um, and, but, but I thought perhaps I had met her, you know, I'd been a bookseller, <laughs> she'd been, she yes. was an editor. Yeah. I thought perhaps we'd met somewhere at some point. And then I started seeing this stuff about Golden Egg on her timeline. And I thought, that's, that's where I'm going to send the book when it's ready. Um, or when I'm ready to send it, I'm not quite sure which, which came first. Mm. Um, 
And then I started going along to some of the um, Twitter chats that they used to do on a Monday evening and kind of getting a feel for what was going on and who was involved. Um, That's a good point, actually, isn't it? That there are these chats that go on for for adult writing and genre writing and children's writing. And if you can tune into the hashtags, you can find that over the course of a couple of hours, one evening, perhaps an author is is taking questions, but all sorts of themes come up and and discussion of writing process. And frankly, it is the same things that crop up all the time. Mm. So I think if somebody is wondering, what is it that writers talk about? Those discussions are had in public now, which is lovely. It's great mm. on, I mean, I find particularly on, on Twitter. Yes. Um, and you can learn a hell of a lot from them, I think. Oh, absolutely. And people put yeah. n- now very kindly pull together the threads, don't they, and, yes. and archive them so you can read the whole thing. Yeah. So I mean, certainly those, those, those early GAQA, they used to be called Chats on a Monday Evening, were just amazing. And also for making the connection with those other people in the same situation as you, because I didn't know anybody else, yeah. you know, that was writing. I knew there were people out there doing it, but I didn't know anybody else that was writing specifically for children. Um, and it just felt like suddenly you had a little community and, and friends, albeit virtual ones, although all friends are virtual these days, yeah. um, to, to kind of ask those silly questions of as well, or, you know, um, and then I, the process then was to submit three chapters um, and they would then, you know, give you some feedback and let you know whether you were, you know, suitable material <laughs> or whether your material was suitable, I suppose. Um, and um, so I submitted the three chapters. For some stupid reason, I didn't submit three consecutive chapters. Okay. I submitted the three chapters I thought were best. Yes. Um, and Vanessa Harbour, Dr. Vanessa Harbour, who um, was the person that read all of the, the submissions at that point, very kindly emailed me and said, look, perhaps you ought to send three um, consecutive chapters. So I did. Um, and again, I, 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 generally approach life with very low expectations. I can tell, <laughs> <And> so, James. <laughs> and so I thought, they're not going to let me in because this is ridiculous. Um, and But hopefully they'll give me some feedback and that will help. All I ever thought I was going to get was feedback. And then I remember the email pinging through one very wet Thursday afternoon towards the end of 2014, I think this would have been, from Vanessa saying, um, we'd like to invite you to join the Golden Egg Academy. And I remember dancing down my hall in my house because oh, I was so wonderful. excited. So, okay, so um, 2014, you you joined Golden Egg and, and 2015 was when you had your meeting in sorry, the Sorry, 20, club. it would have been 2013. I'm oh, okay. It's all in a muddle. Well, I, no, I was, because I was thinking of that, that would be, that would be pretty fast. So <laughs> there, was, there was sort of a couple of years, were there, between that and then, and then the Savile Club? meeting yeah so 20 yeah, that's not so bad, I, though. no it's not I, I mean i was i again i i did um in those days with golden you had to go and do what they called their book mapping workshop so i did that in january 2014 is that the massive excel spreadsheet yes oh that's very scary i know but but wonderful as well um I mean, I learned so much about what I was doing. So you find through... out all the, all the gaps in your yeah. plot and that the fact that a character disappears for 20 chapters. Yeah. And <laughs> your locations don't make sense. And... Yeah, or for me, it was always to do with, um, I had real problems with, with weather and times of the year as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that helped. And um, yeah, so I did my book mapping 
and then there was a through the narrator's eye workshop in march which um it uh vanessa had recommended as part of my initial feedback would be a good course to to go on and that was with bella and beverly um, bella pearson and beverly birch and i went down to froom which is where the workshops were held in those days and had this just amazing weekend talking about you know your author's voice and um and you've got a one-to-one -one with the workshop leaders and i had my one-to-one -one with with bella and i knew i you know i knew who she was obviously i i i i'd, I'd known anyway i knew she was a a big deal editor and she'd got I, I should say she, she runs her own publishing company now, as we both know guppy, guppy publishing yeah. which is fantastic but she was the editor of the boy in the striped pajamas yes. and um and a couple of my books um love song being yeah. one of them and, and yeah. the castle um she's edited many uh famous books um uh yes more famous than mine um <laughs> And she's, yes, she's such a delight to work with. She's, she's a very sort of serious kind of worker, isn't she? I, mm. um, but, but super sensitive to what yeah. you're trying to say. Mm. So how and lucky I, that you had her. Yeah, but I had never, I had never been edited up till that point. You know, up until this point, everything I've been doing, I've been doing myself. Even with Golden Egg, it was, you know, working on the book map on my own. Um, and then this was my first workshop. This was the first time I'd submitted any other work to be looked at. And um, I fully expected it to be like some sort of horrible school flashback where the piece of paper is slid across the table at you and it's completely covered in red pen. Yes. Um, and and I'm sure that's how some editors do work. Yes. But I've yet to meet them. And Bella sat there and she had the piece of paper in front of her and it had nothing written on it. Well, it did. It had a few bits and pieces. Yeah. But they weren't, she hadn't crossed anything out. She hadn't, like, there was no red pen. And all we did was we chatted mm. about the story and about what she'd read and she asked me questions and questions and questions and and it really made me think about what i'd what i was trying to present and what i was trying to do and what i was trying to tell in that story and that's been my experience all through you know my editing experience so far is that it's very much the the conversation and it's a create it's the most I was surprised because I didn't think it would be such a creative process. I thought it would be that I would love that first draft and everything after that would be painful and torturous <laughs> but necessary. Yeah. And it's not, it's completely the reverse. Yeah. I find the first draft quite not torturous, but I do find it quite difficult pulling that story out of myself. Yeah. And then it's when it gets to the point where somebody is asking these questions and, and raising these thoughts and pointing these things out and and challenging you to to do it better um that's the bit i really really love um yeah i i often find the same thing mm. i mean I, I talk about the dirty draft a lot when i'm when i'm teaching and i mention a lot here that but you, you've got to get something out there haven't you so that you've got yeah, something you to play with you can't fix a blank page yes exactly unless you're going to do some origami yes <laughs> but but that all all great writing has been rewritten and and it, mm. it's become itself in the rewriting process and and that is a it's a very as you say it's a sort of an energetic thing and it's yeah it's yeah. lovely but you've got to get because i always find i'm finding it right now i'm, I'm doing a first draft of, of book two and i'm sort of thinking which everything i tell my students not to think and i know it's not right but you know that it's got to be perfect that what i, what I am writing now has got to work as a finished article and it's not true no, it's not just got to work as something with a beginning a middle and an end that mm. i can then go back and play with yeah yeah even you know i'm i'm quite guilty for 
not always knowing a character's name and just mm. you know the names change three or four times yep. <laughs> through the draft or they don't have a name at all um you know place names all of those little details i'll go back and because i tend to write longhand as well um yeah. and so when i then take my notebook and sit at the computer and start to type I'll get to bits and I think, oh, I knew, I knew I should have sorted that out at that point. But you just kind of sit there and you think, you know, I could either stew over this all, all day, probably, or all week, or I could just skip to the bit that I know and I know I can work it out later with a bit of, you know, because sometimes distance is a marvellous thing, isn't it? Um, and, but, you know, occasionally I do get to the bit in the notebook and I think, Damn, I should have worked that out. <laughs> should have worked that out at the time, but never mind. We'll um we'll it will it will sort itself out somehow. Um yeah. So so it's it's interesting just going back to, to Golden Egg and how, how that has helped you kind of work through your process. I mean, a lot of things it sounds as though, you know, you're working out for yourself. In fact, you like to write in notebooks and you like to write mm. longhand and that kind of thing, and that that's you. Um, but that you had access to these workshops and these occasional one-to-one um encounters yeah. with with really established industry people and that that yes. is something that um that something like golden egg can offer people if that's what they're looking for absolutely um and you know often there would there would be guest people come to speak at the workshops as well um and the and the socials and you know like i said before just that just that connection with other people doing the the same thing that you were doing um was just you know it was completely eye-opening to me i hadn't i hadn't really discovered scooby at that point either so for me golden egg really was my community of of writers and we were you know we became some of us you know quite a lot of us became quite quickly quite close-knit good friends you know so i was still friends with people like vashley hardy and um lorraine gregory and jen killick and um you know anthony burt whose who's, who's books coming out next year yes. you know we, those are people i met in those first few you know i'm at anthony at my first workshop and we're still we're still friends and and that's just that's just the, the you know the the surprisingly amazing part of, of what golden egg offers is that community but that's not to overshadow all of the amazing helpful stuff about you know understanding your the golden thread through your story and you know so many wonderful um insights into what into what you're doing that you know i remember beverly saying at a workshop that they're not in the business of giving you hints and tips on how to write because hints and tips will only get you so far mm. what they want to do is they want to equip you with the tools so that when you go on to write your second and third and fourth and fifth books you can draw on that experience again and those tools that they've equipped you with to carry on being the best writer you can possibly be and i i think that's just a you know and i i think that's still very much the ethos that they that golden egg works to it's not kind of then yes it's wonderful and there have been some amazing books published as a result people you know you know i've been published mg leonard was a golden egg person liz flanagan you know all of these people have come through um lisa williamson yeah all of these are golden egg people um but, you know, alongside those, there are lots of people who are still working on books. And it might be that it's not that book you're working on yeah. with Golden Egg, yeah. but the book you work on with Golden Egg will be the thing that, that really helps you understand that your process, but also how you can improve things and, and what you can do 
next time around um, to 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 get there. I think it's just yeah, it's just a, a wonderful thing. And, and as you say, having having the people around you is is really critical, isn't it? I didn't at all when I was writing threads, um, but in the process of um, doing the competition. Um, the Chicken House competition. I I was shortlisted alongside a writer called Justine Windsor, and we just fell on each other as soon as we found <laughs> out about each other. We were on the phone the whole time because then we were waiting to know um, who'd won, and um, and that waiting process is just just hideous. And then and Justine was the first person I I sort of found. It's like oh this is my tribe. This is somebody who knows yeah. who knows the pain, who knows what what, what we're all going through. Um, and you mentioned Scooby, the Society of Children's Book mm. Writers and Illustrators. Um, and and for children's writers, that that's really handy. Um, I'm now writing crime, so I, I've cool. just joined the CWA. So I've gone from Scooby to Qua. Um, I'm sure they don't call themselves <laughs> that. Um, the Crime Writers Association, and and again, but you know, just so so lovely and and mm. essential to be able to to just uh, call on, socialise with, get drunk with whatever people who. Um, who are going through the same pain and reading the same books and loving the same stuff and think the same things are important. Absolutely. And, you know, having that, you know, those people there, again, not just for that, not just for the wonderful stuff, not just have somebody to come, you know, to a launch party or come and see you when you do a book signing, but to be there on those days when it's not gone right or... You know, I, I one of my favourite phrases when I'm kind of stuck in one of those awful editing kind of bits where you're trying to put things back together again. I call it knitting spaghetti. Yes, um, <laughs> the saggy those, middle. <laughs> yeah, on those knitting spaghetti days, yeah. you know, kind of just having, being able to, you know, whether it's a direct message or whether it's Skyping somebody or calling somebody and just saying, have I just completely lost the plot? Does this make sense? Let me just send this to you. Let me just read it to you. Um, you know, that's that's really wonderful because you you know you often you're so close to it you can't see yourself and it just takes somebody else to go yeah of course that that's absolutely fine that makes absolute sense it's, it's so um, essential i remember with with love song it was it was such a mess and i sent it off to a, a, a face group a very small face group a group of writers who write young adult fiction and um and it came back from Susie Day. Still remember, I'm always crediting Susie with this because it was it was patchy. It was missing chapters because I'd had to do that thing you were talking about where I couldn't write that bit. I had to skip to the mm. next bit. Point of view change. Well, not no point. Of, it went from third, first person to third and then back and yeah, present tense to past and then back. And it was a mess. And I was basically saying to them, look, I I can't do this. Just Just tell me to stop and just be sensible and move on to something else. And Susie said, no, it's it's great. Go with it. It's fine. Keep going. And that's what I really, really needed with that book. Mm. And and Alex, my husband, says it's my best book. Um, so bless Susie. For, because oh. without that, I would have stopped. I would definitely have stopped. I, I really needed some some good old support at that time. Um, so, yeah, a lovely people to have. Um, right. Well, I'm looking. My, my clean free clock is saying we've been talking for an hour, James. Goodness so me. <laughs> Damn it! Um, we better not talk anymore, otherwise this thing will go on forever. But it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. No, thank you for letting me come on and be part of your lovely podcast. Because I really, honestly, I just—it's just been joyous. Particularly, you know, um, during lockdown, I often listen when I'm doing my shopping. Yeah. As well, and it's just—it kind of keeps me in my little bubble that I'm, you know, and just, just, but really useful stuff as well. You know, even for somebody that's not now pre-published, I'm post-published very much post-published yes um but you you know you never stop learning i think that's the that's the 
thing I've learned is that there's always something new to learn. There's always a new challenge around the corner. Um, you know, well, you've got me thinking be. about the golden thread of story now. Have, I, I know what you mean, but has my current book got one? And I need to think about that. So, yes. I know. I think, but sometimes those are the sort of the things you can't tell until until you've written it. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's like a lot of these, and there are some fantastic books out there to help people with writing, but often you need to have written something to then go and read one of these books because it will ask you to pick apart things and you're like well I've not got anything to pick apart so true <laughs> yeah brilliant well I think that's wonderful advice um I always ask people for for their advice have you got it, anything else you'd like to add apart from the write it so that you can pick it apart which I, I, I um, do you know I think it's just the fact that you know particularly for me I can't edit and write at the same time I'm sure some people can and it's probably a very long process um but again I think that's one of those things that that maybe you think oh I've done it now I must be able to do it perhaps we can skip that bit I should be able to do it better and actually you know trust your instinct trust the process your process will evolve and change but trust the process that got you to wherever you got before and kind of go with it write and then go back and analyze and edit your you know you kind of need the two separate parts of your brain to do that and I don't think they always work well together so um yeah give it some space and then go back and look at it with that sort of analytical eye don't try and edit and second guess yourself as you're writing just just go with it I think brilliant I will do that with what I'm writing at the moment <laughs> thanks a million it's been really lovely to talk to you and um and good luck with the, the next one it sounds like it's going okay thank you very much I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Pre-Published. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at PrePubPodcast and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com, or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com. <laughs>